welcome to the RodeoKids.com podcast. I'm your host, Camry Whitmer. Today's podcast comes from our RodeoKids.com monthly Zoom. The RodeoKids.com monthly Zoom is something everyone is invited to tune into. These Zooms are an opportunity for Rodeo Kids, competitors, parents, and anyone else who is curious to talk firsthand with some of our very own Western industry leaders. Our guests range from NFR qualifiers and world champions to entertainers, coaches, business owners, producers, and everything in between. All of our guests on the Zoom have had a positive impact on the industry and they are willing to share their stories and answer any kinds of questions that you have. You can find out who the next person is and when the next RodeoKids.com Zoom is by following us on Facebook or Instagram. You can also find it on RodeoKids.com. And today's guest, we are excited to have back. We did a different podcast with Dr. Andy Wolf from Tarleton State University. He is a research scientist and a professor who is working directly with the rodeo team. And today he talks about the different statistics that he has seen and the improvements by doing these fitness programs that he has designed for the specific events that these contestants do and students do. So we're gonna talk about mirroring the movement, the improvements that have been made, and a little bit of sports psychology because we all know we can use a little help in the mental game. And now we'll get started. I'll, I'll do a quick introduction and then kind of talk about what I do in, uh, and I have a couple of different roles and then I'll talk also a little bit about um, some exercise science stuff, some results that we've seen over the last year with, with the athletic performance or strength conditioning that we do with rodeo. Um, and, and then I'll also kind of show you guys the, the types of exercises that we may do that may correlate with the, the sport of rodeo. So, um, so really quickly, um, my name's Dr. Andy Wolf. Um, I am an assistant professor at Tarleton State University down here in Texas in the uh, cowboy capital of the world. So I just happen to be fortunate enough to get a professor position where rodeo is quite prevalent. Um, I, I, where I live, I live in Lipan, Texas. Um, Cameron, I think you, you may be familiar with where that's at. Um, and I am literally surrounded by world champions. It's pretty cool. Uh, so I get to bump shoulders with the best of the best of the Cowboys all the time. And it's, it is so much fun to sit and pick their brain about rodeo. And then they turn around and pick my brain about strength and conditioning. So I'm a professor at Tarleton. Um, I work with the Tarleton state, uh, rodeo team. We, uh, this week we actually started testing. So we are two days into testing right now, and that's going well. A little chaotic whenever you have 80 athletes sign up. Tarleton has a team this year, I think, of like 150 athletes. It's crazy. It's the biggest team that we've ever had. On the rodeo team? On the rodeo team, yes, ma'am. So I had all the strength and conditioning for that, um, which is a blast. It's so much fun um, getting getting to know a bunch of those kids and then also getting to prescribe exercise to a population that we typically don't prescribe exercise to, which is the rodeo population. Um, in conjunction with that, uh, I run a lab at the university, do quite a bit of exercise science research at the university at Tarleton, and I teach classes in uh, health and human performance. So stuff like exercise physiology, um, essentials of personal training, uh, theory of strength and conditioning, that type of stuff. Um, 
and then I also on on the side I run a uh, I run a a business and the organization is called Wolf and Sons Performance, um, where I do a lot of um, I'm going to call it consultant work with rodeo athletes and also individuals that are involved in rodeo. Camry's tried out the program a little bit for the last month. Um, I, I hope she likes it. <laughs> um, I think it's been awesome. I it, it what I like about it too is like my schedule is kind of crazy right now. Like we just had that random trip to Colorado that happened real fast, but um, yeah. still able to like go back and catch up. Yeah. So we'll t- I'll talk. I'll try to talk about that a little bit as well today. But with that, I I do provide some face to face. I do provide a lot of face-to-face training. So where I work with people in person, but the majority of, of what I do for or with Wolf and Sons performance is uh, it's all online. So I've, I've recognized that even, even in providing strength conditioning for the college, I, I still don't get to see them as much as I'd like because you guys are on the road nonstop. So what do you guys need? You guys need a platform that you can do on the road. And that's what I do through my uh, my organization. So yeah, that's kind of an introduction for me. Um, before we jump into the the PowerPoint, Camry, with with some of the the results that we've seen, does anybody have any questions about maybe how I got into this, or you know about me as an individual? I'm I'm more than willing to answer a couple of questions really quick before we jump into to fun data. I know how much you guys probably love data. I do. I'm. A- what did inspire you to go like towards the rodeo crowd? I mean, like, were you a baseball player to begin with? Yeah, so I'm I'm originally a uh, I'm originally a baseball player. So uh, that's what I did whenever I went to college. Um, my experience with rodeo prior to that is uh, I won a buckle one time doing some button busting. Yeah, uh huh. One one button busting. Um, and if you, if you follow me on Instagram, I recently got thrown all over the place by a steer or no, it was a calf. Excuse me. I didn't even get, get, get thrown around by a steer as a calf. Our group went and we did some, um, buddy roping, which was a lot of fun at Tarleton. But, uh, how did I get into rodeo? Um, Tarleton's always had a really big rodeo team and I had actually been working with several organizations on campus and uh, one of which was the, uh, the ROTC group, so uh, uh, Army. And they had a new, they had new leadership come in and they wanted, to, they wanted to go a different direction. And we had been providing strength conditioning for them for the last two years. And they, they wanted to do their own thing. And I said, okay, well, let's go and see what other organizations are out there that need the support of the lab that we can do research with. Um, and that that kind of took off at the university. We, we thought, well, heck, let's reach out to rodeo and they were all for it. And then um, what got me personally into it, where I started doing my, my uh, consultant work was I connected with an old friend from high school and she reached out to me and said, Hey, do you provide personal training still? And I said, yeah. And she said, okay, well, my, my husband, Clayton Haas needs some training and they happened to live in Weatherford. And I had no idea that she had moved up here and um, which Weatherford's about, I don't know, 25 minutes from Lipan. So I connected with Clayton probably about a year before I started training the college rodeo team. So I had a little bit of experience there and working with him. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of how it got started for me. But I, I, whenever I was first getting into strength conditioning, I was all about, I want to work with people that were in my sport because I was very familiar with it. And um, 
the more I've gotten into rodeo, the more I like you guys. Y'all are the most polite, respectful people on the planet. And I, I, y'all, y'all give everything you possibly have every time y'all come in. And that's the, that's the best part about it. I don't have to, I don't have to force people to come and work out. It's, it's amazing. So. Well, and I think, um, you know, just from my experience, at least for me personally, like to have somebody who's explaining it in a way that it applies to what I'm doing is, is awesome because in every other sport, you know, it's already set up for you. Like you go in and expecting it. And now this is, you've provided at least for me an outlet to really hone my skills outside of the arena to get better, which didn't really exist beforehand from what I know. Yeah. There's, there's a couple of people that are doing it here and there, but it, it really hasn't caught on a whole lot, especially in regards to specificity of the, of the event that you're in. And then also just the, the sport of rodeo as a whole. And there's so many different events within rodeo that we have to train each one of those sports, those events differently. And that's what I try to do within my programming is, is make sure that everything's tailored to you, you as an individual and you, you and your event. So yeah. yeah. What's that look like deciding what exercises go with which event? What's that look like? Well, uh, since you have that lovely PowerPoint pulled up, let's just go ahead and pull it up and okay. we can jump to that. And I'm hundred percent okay with going out of order. Um, I've, I put together a couple of slides in there. Um, Carrie, last time we had talked, if you want to go down a little bit to the, I don't know, probably the sixth or seventh slide down there. Um, maybe the eighth slide. You'll start seeing pictures here in a second. He'll say mimic the movement. So last time we talked uh, on our uh, on the podcast, we had talked a lot about energy systems and, and fast twitch fibers and stuff like that. And, and a lot of what we understand is, is we need to be very explosive as rodeo athletes, right? Um, so uh, that, that's, that's something that's relatively well known now, well known now, is we've got to stay in regards to the contractile speed, we got to be really, really fast at our movements, really, really strong with our movements and they don't need to last really long. So last time I, we talked, I said, Hey, stay away from your long distance running unless it's therapeutic, right. Or it's utilized for recovery. I know Cameron went and she went and raced up a mountain the other day and uh, give you any grief about it. So, uh, <laughs> because I know it's therapeutic at times. So, yeah. Uh, but it, the other half of the, of the puzzle is, is looking at the movement patterns that are associated with the sport. So mimic the movement. So I, I put a couple of, of images together to where you guys can kind of see what we're looking at here. So our body moves in, in a couple of different planes. It moves forwards and backwards. It moves uh, rotationally and it moves side to side. So it's important that we recognize the way in which it moves, right? And then also it's important that we recognize um, whether or not we're using both sides of our body at the same time, like both arms are moving at the same position at the same time, or if we're doing it in, in a, in a fashion that's called unilateral, where we're just using one side of our body. And so in this particular area here, we see roping everybody, almost everybody here probably has picked up a rope before, right? You only swing the rope with one arm. So it's important to strengthen our bodies in a way that is, is focusing on one particular arm, right? So in, in the picture above, we see, I think I'm just gonna coin this one, the, the roping push-up, okay? Um, it, like that? Yeah, I do. <laughs> uh, 
And, and what happens here is we're working on, we're working on the chest, right? Primarily we're working on a horizontal push motion where most push-ups are going to work the pectoralis major, which is your chest muscle, right? But we're also integrating a bit of an, an overhand reach. And whenever we do that, we, we make ourselves activate the lats, right? That's that big muscle that runs on your side and down your back. Okay. That's going to be one of the biggest muscles that's used whenever we're roping. Okay. Cause we're going to rope here in a second. And this, this gal that's down there on the bottom, you're going to see that she's getting ready to throw that rope out and, and, and pull that hand across. And when she does that, that hand actually turns inward just a little bit, which is mostly controlled in regards to the big muscles by the latissimus dorsi. All at the same time, we want that shoulder to stay in that socket, right? We don't, we don't want any, any rotator cuff issues. We don't want any subluxations where that, 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 uh, that ball and socket comes apart, right? We want good what's called congruency within that, that particular joint. So as we're reaching out in that push-up, we're, we're training those fine little muscles within our shoulder to stabilize during that overhead motion, which is something that we go into quite frequently with roping. So it is probably way more strenuous than you actually roping, but we always want to practice with more intensity than our actual event, right? If, and, and if you went to the next slide, I think it's steer wrestling. So if, if I'm having to grab this steer and flip it over and that sucker weighs 300, 400 pounds, I need to be ready to be in that position to flip that steer that's 300, 400 pounds. So what are we doing? We're putting ourselves in the same type position as you see there with one of my, one of my athletes. He's got a barbell on his back. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what the weight is there. It's probably not 400 pounds. It looks like it's just about 135, 135 pounds, but he's doing it for multiple reps to improve that particular movement pattern. That's actually a really, really difficult exercise to do with that bar on your back, right? So also something, if we went back one, we, we have a lot of rotator cuff issues with ropers, right? Does anybody's rotator cuff kind of bug them after a while? Yeah, there it is. Okay. So what I'm doing with the individual on the right is I'm doing some reflective or yeah, re like reflective type, um, uh, responses to stimulus in those different roping positions. Right. So what I'm doing is they've got a two and two, a half, two and a half in their hand. And all I'm doing is tapping their hand and tapping their wrist in a bunch of different positions, which is causing the rotator cuff to fire and activate when it goes out of that that position that they're supposed to be in. Okay. So how are we, how are we training rodeo? This is how we're training. rodeo. We're putting your hands in the positions you're going to be roping in and making them fire and stay in those positions where they're supposed to be. Most of the time, if our body's in the right position, whenever we do our event, we're perfectly fine. We don't have to worry about injury, but it's whenever we get out of those positions that we, we run into injury. So we have to be strong enough and recognize those positions to where our, our nervous system, our neuromuscular system, our brain tells our muscles to fire and bring us back to where we're supposed to be. So there's two examples. You go on to the next one, uh, past steer wrestling. I just put a couple up here. Um, I won't, I won't talk too terribly much on them. Go to the, yeah, there we go. Right. So I put some rust stock on here, right? Holy smokes. Look at that bull rider. 
right? That looks absolutely terrible, okay? But if he's trained well enough, what we'll see there is the, the, uh, the, it's the side or what's called the external obliques, right? Will keep him from falling off to the right, whenever he's getting thrown that direction with the bull. So all, he, all he's going to do here, once that bull lands, is he's going to pull with that left arm and he's going to contract the, the external obliques, which are on the rib cage, basically of the opposite side he's leaning towards. Okay. And in order to stay in that position, he's got to be strong enough to, to pull himself back down to prevent him from flying off that bull. Now, if we look at the individual right to the, just to the right of him, that's got that band that's over his head. What that's simulating is exactly the same thing. Okay. I've got that band with a ton of tension, right? And what he'll do is initially he'll start with that band at his chest. He'll push it out forward, just like a bench press or just like a push up, And then he'll take his hands straight up overhead. Like you see, he's doing there. Whenever those hands go up overhead, not only is he trying to, to prevent rotation in his trunk, He's trying to prevent that lateral flexion in his trunk too. So his, his body's trying to pull back towards that band, but his, his external obliques, those muscles on the side of his body are keeping him upright. And the more we train specifically in events like this, right, the better we get at responding to those extreme um, uh, positions that we see there, like with that bull, right? And the same thing with, with, um, with your bronc riders, most of their work is, is we're trying to prevent ourselves from getting whiplashed, right? Nobody, nobody wants to get their head thrust back onto the butt of a horse. So they're constantly contracting their abs, right? To stay, to stay away from excessive, what's called, what's called um, spinal extension, right? So what I've got there is that individual on a ball. It's very, very, very unstable, in certain times, we'll actually tap that ball to make it un even more unstable. And then he's trying to keep his, his hips in line with his head and his heels. What will frequently happen is his hips will sink, right? And you'll have to turn those, those, those rectus abdominis on, which are your abs, right, in order to hold that position up. That's the exact same thing you're doing whenever you're riding on a bronc, right, is you're constantly contracting your abs. So Have you tried that one yet? No, I haven't, but I'm taking notes so I can try it. <laughs> I saw you over there, there you scribbling go. stuff. Good. Charlie there is you... the one who turned me on to all of the, like, the balance ball and the bossy ball stuff. Some of the other kids that I sponsored before, Riley and Peyton, um, last year used the bossy ball, but he's pretty handy on that, uh, that, that yoga yeah. ball. Yeah, man, I love the yoga balls and the bossy balls, especially for the rodeo population, like, Cameron, you can attest to this. Almost every single one of my programs have a stability ball of sorts, whether it's half or a full stability ball integrated in there. Right. And, and a lot of people say, well, I don't have a stability ball. All right. You got a two by four laying around somewhere, right? Just put a two by four on top of uh, elevated and stand on it. Right. Mm -hmm. where, where it's like a teeter totter. It, it gives you basically the exact same stimulus because you're trying to prevent yourself from falling too far, far to the right, too far to the left, too far forward. I mean, and if a two by four is going to roll on, you just grab a two by six. So it gives you a little bit more foot support. Yeah. So it's been amazing for me just to see how much of a difference it's made in my ability to ride my horse just by even standing. Like I could tell the difference from 
the day that I got the bossy ball to like two days later of just standing on it and the muscles that got triggered and woken up and just that I hadn't used before and hadn't really connected. It was night and day difference just with that alone. And then I could feel a difference every single time I rope the bale or rope calves or the dummy or anything, um, just with the stuff that I've done on your program so far, just getting a little bit stronger, a little bit at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you, you're not the only one that said that I work with a, a breakaway roper here and she used to have to like thrust her whole body into throwing that rope well and we worked so much on strengthening 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 that she's no longer having to put her whole body into roping and what's what's in turn happened is her head staying still which keeps her vision still so the stronger she's gotten the more she gets to rely on her arm to throw that rope and then her head stays still which gives her a better perception of where that calf's at whenever she's roping i mean it's that one's been really, really neat to see is just the different, um, basically the, the, the difference in her technique has changed just by getting stronger. Yeah. And Hadley and, um, Sadie and I talked a lot about in the last few days, body position and stuff when you're running barrels. And I guess I really hadn't put the connection together on, you know, like we, we talked a lot about staying balanced and stuff. And even when you're running barrels, you're picking those points and every single step that that horse makes matters and if we're riding back here we're too far behind them or too far in front of them and then we're sitting down and like making dramatic moves in our saddle then it's no different than anything else our points are changing just that much with every single move we make so the more we can stay centered in that saddle and make subtle effective movements versus big dramatic movements um, the more effective we are in our turns yeah like core engagement and like core muscles are super important in running barrels like just to be able to put your body you know where you need to to get your horse to the point that they need to be at yeah yeah um it it really doesn't matter what sport you're in but the if you can learn to minimize movement you're going to be better at performing right the more efficient you are at your particular movements the better you become um, and so you guys are absolutely nailing it. Yeah. And a lot of it with running barrels is you're getting swayed back and forth, just like, just like your rough stock are right. It, yours is just as extreme. You're running a horse 30 miles an hour around in circles. Right. I, I mean, I've never done that, but <laughs> I'm guessing it'd be really hard to stay on the horse. Right. Um, it, it'd probably be fun for you guys to watch me do that at some point, but, um, I can under, I can understand and I can appreciate the core strength that it requires to stay in those different positions along with the leg strength mm-hmm. because the leg strength is you guys have to extend it depending on which direction you're going. You've got to extend that leg out the other one back into the basically into the gut of the horse in order to move it. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of coordination with the legs that happen at the same time, the core is activating. So yeah, there's, there's a lot going on there a lot. So, um, is and like, as you get into it more, you know, as I, I really dive into, you know, your body position and everything on a horse and you're not, you know, a lot of people get on a horse and they get super sore in like their groin muscles or in their thigh muscles because they're squeezing so hard there, but it's actually utilizing your entire body from your shoulders. And like, you're almost putting that weight on the outside so that you're not squeezing your horse all the time. And learning Mm -hmm. how to use those muscles, kind of like we talked about in the podcast, 
if I go ride a bike, ugh, it's horrible. Like I hate riding bikes because it's so uncomfortable and I'm not used to using those muscles. And you would think that riding horses every day, that those would be the muscles that I'm using, but I'm not. Um, and so there's just a lot of different, different kinds of muscle groups that we don't even realize that there's so much to it. Um, and mm -hmm. you know, that your program starts to trigger all those little things and connect them together. Yeah. The little ones. Yeah. Uh, can you go to the next slide really quick? I'm man, I'm terrible. I don't know if I put barrels in here or not. Uh, I should have, I should have, I'm so sorry. So this one here is, uh, basically a picture of any time that we're getting off of a horse, right? For some reason, you guys want to jump off your horses. I'm not really sure why yet, but you guys like, I'm just kidding. No, it's, it, it happens all the time in, in all of your events. Well, what we see there, look at every single one of those pictures. So we've got a calf roping, we've got goat tying, and then we've got steer wrestling there. Each one of those positions, we're in a single legged squat position, right? A single leg squat position. If we can't do a single leg squat on the ground, we got about no business doing it off the side of a horse. We have to, we have to train ourselves to be in a good position when we're getting off the horse. And one of the biggest problems that I see is the, the female up top, hers actually isn't too bad because her left toe is turned in, but it looks as if her knee is caving in, right? But her left toe is turned in, so her knee's not too bad. But most females their, their knee will, will turn in, it will cave in. And you're going to see some, a lot of pressure on the in, like the inside of your knee. Okay. Um, same with, same with a lot of, uh, calf ropers, whenever they come off that knee is in all the time. Right. And that knee that's in all the time just happens to be the exact same knee that they pin that calf down with whenever they tie it down. Okay. Same thing with your goat tires. Right. So we're constantly moving, with that knee going in, knee going in, knee going in, right? Over time, those, those muscles get really strong at moving it in that we have problems moving it out, okay? So it's really important that, A, we work on the proper single leg squat positions. And, and you see there, we just have, we have one of my, my, uh, my lovely GA there, Tyler Frank. He's, he's actually doing a single leg, he's doing a single leg tap down. So he's not going all the way down. He's just working on appropriate you know, hinging of the hips, pushing the hips back, making sure the chest stays upright. And he's just barely going to tap the floor there and go into maybe a quarter squat position, right? Before we can get that, until we get that down, we can't progress to that next one, which is a full um, single leg squat. But that's a big movement. Just that, that tap down is a big movement that I use with a lot of, um, basically a lot of any rodeo athletes um, is, is to get them into that appropriate fundamental position to make sure that a that knee's going out over the toes instead of caving in over the big toe right make sure it's going over the pinky toe versus the big toe whenever we're in those single leg squat positions so that's another one there and then so that's kind of how we sorry barrel racers i'm terrible i should have put a picture in there of y'all um i actually think i had one i just had um my fault my fault um I do work with barrel racers. I actually have one that, that I work with that she just signed up recently and she's loving the program. So, um, so do you guys have any questions about any of the, the, what I labeled mimic the movement or any other things of, of how we may program for rodeo athletes? This is, this is Riley Smith. And I have a question 
about um like bareback riding like how would that work with trying to exercise your arm that you're using that's in that that's in the rigging and like with all the pressure that comes on with every like bucket the horse has so we actually have done a lot of grip strength testing with uh bronc riders and bull riders and steer wrestlers believe it or not theirs are pretty strong too they have to grab a horn right and we see that you guys have extremely extremely powerful um grip strength um we use a hand what's called a hand dynamometer and um, that hand dynamometer can register the force that you're putting into squeezing a device together. Um, and they're pretty neat. Um, so what type of exercises might we use for grip strength? I, I am a huge fan of any sort of farmer's walks, okay? The best type of farmer's walks that I can recommend for, um, for, for any sort of rough stock rider, rider is going to be your single arm farmer's walks. And the reason I like to do single arm farmer's walks is you guys don't hold on with two hands, right? Uh, that's it, it, farmer's walks are great if you're holding on with two hands, but the single arm stuff activates, it'll, it'll activate the hand, right? Activate all those forearm um, flexors, right? Cause you guys are going to be flexing, not extending flexors, right? Gonna, and, and I'm talking heavyweight, right? So as heavy as you possibly can. So this is going to be activated in a farmer's walk is we grab a dumbbell or a kettlebell or a bucket of water, or a bucket of sand, and we just put it on our side and let our hand fall down to the ground. Well, what happens when we have it in one arm, our body wants to lean, right? It wants to lean towards the hand that has that, that weight right, or that resistance. So our core on the opposite side, again, that external oblique has to turn on to straighten our bodies up and down. Right. And that's the objective. Turn that opposite side core on, squeeze as hard as you possibly can and just walk. Right. And whenever you're walking, your body's going to be moving that that um, resistance is going to be moving that bucket, that kettlebell, that dumbbell, whatever that resistance is that you've got. Right. It, very similar to whenever you're sitting in a saddle, that thing's going to be moving. Right. And that opposite core is going to have to be turned on. So that's one of my favorite ones to do. And then if you want to get really, really advanced. Um, they, I've done this with some bull riders before and, and they, they, uh, they do pretty well with it, but just a single arm hang. So if you go up to a pull-up bar and you jump up there with two hands and you're just hanging, squeeze really, really hard with one hand and just slowly take the other one off. Right. And just hang there for a minute. Okay. Hang there for 30 seconds, right. Or 10 seconds, as long as you can, and then release jump up there, do it with the other arm. Make sure that you're always doing it with the opposite arm. Okay. Um, but that one's pretty advanced. And then there's, there's some individuals that we can start to put other twists on it. You guys have probably seen like American Ninja Warrior type stuff where people hang with one hand and flip a weight out in front of them. Believe it or not, it's actually relatively applicable to the rough stock population to do weird, funky, crazy stuff like that. A, it's enjoyable. It's kind of fun. And then B, you guys are moving all the time while you're on the saddle with one arm. Why can't we do that in the weight room? We can't. So um, it's, it's way different than, than your typical football strength conditioning program. Um, I, had a, I had an athlete up at Tarleton ask me, so is this like a football program? And I, and I looked at him and I said, no, not at all. It, but it's like, like training, like football. I said, no, not at all. Not one bit like football. I don't train anybody like they're a football player. I, I train you like you're a rodeo athlete. And that's, that's the goal here is to train you in a way that you're going to, uh, it, you're going to perform. I got a hand up. We have Perfect. Thank you. 
and then um, the Busby's. Okay, what you got? So, um, could you like possibly somehow with the podcast, when Cami creates it into a podcast, uh, add some like different workout descriptions for barrel racers and pole benders? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I can add some stuff in there for for barrel racing, like like some more of those like mimic the movement pictures. Is that kind of what you're looking for? Yeah, some ideas. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll create some tomorrow and I'll send Camry a list of them. How's that sound? Okay. And then uh, I'll post them on. I'll I'll create some and I'll post them sometime this week on social media, also, and I'll send them over there and I'll tag you guys in it too. What do you think about like for stretching and stuff along those lines? Ooh, good question. Right. Um, stretching. Don't stretch unless you're tight. That's what I would say, um, especially with the majority of youth athletes. You guys are way more flexible than most uh, adults, right? You guys have what's called a lot of last elasticity within your joints, right? And your bones are like uh, it's like green wood, right? They're not they're not they're not hard and brittle like mine at this point, right? Um, <laughs> I'm fragile. Leave me alone. Um, no, they. Uh, it, you guys are a lot more flexible than, than adults are. So what I'd say is don't stretch unless you have some areas that are really, really quite tight. Now, as, as you progress through your sport and you continue these, these movements over and over and over again, you are going to get more tight in certain areas of your body than other areas of your body. Like we'd seen with the, with anybody that's jumping off that horse, like we saw with the, the goat tires, the steer wrestlers, all those people, they're going to have that, that right knee that's going to cave in a lot because they're using the inside of their leg, which, which is called the adductor complex, which is most people think of it as your groin, right? It, to pull that knee in a lot, right? So that's going to get really tight. That is an area that might, um, that, that might need some stretching. Okay. Um, you may need to stretch that particular area out, especially before you go get into, into your event. Um, it, and, uh, really, unless it's causing you a lot of pain, I don't, I don't tell people to just sit there and hold long 30 second stretches. Okay. Flexibility is great, but you guys also need to have some muscle tension. Okay. Uh, muscle tension isn't a bad thing. Muscle tension means that you can move quickly, it means that you can, you can cause your muscles to contract really quickly and, and move really quickly. Um, it's kind of, I, I'll use football as an example. You guys see football players and they have these big balled up muscles, right? And they're super fast and super powerful. Same with like basketball players. Look at their calf muscles, their little itty bitty balls there at the end of their, just underneath their knees, right? And they use them as springs. And that's kind of how our muscles work. So in some situations, it's okay to have a little bit of, of stiffness or rigidity within our muscles. It, it actually helps us produce more power, which is what you want in rodeo. More power. So um, don't stretch unless you need to. That's a long, long answer. Uh, only stretch the areas that are really, really tight. Okay. And then before you go out and compete, always do stretching that is considered dynamic stretching. So that's, that's, that's moving to the end range of motion and then getting out of it, move to the end range of motion and then get out of it. So we're not going to do any sort of just static holding for 30 seconds. Okay. Make sure you're moving through those stretches. So that's kind of like, I guess the way that I look at that is 
like there's a difference between stretching where I guess when I think of stretching, this is just me personally, I think of holding, like, I'm going to stretch it out. I'm going to take my time. I'm going to do stuff like that versus like a warm up where you are warming up quickly and getting those muscles warm. Yep. So I am. Yeah. Like I said, the warm up is what I would tell people to use most frequently, unless you have areas that, that really need to be lengthened out. And then I would put in some stretching, right? Cameron's definition of, of stretching. Yep. Let's talk about your warm up a little bit. We're about the warm up. Okay. So you've done the warm up. I have. It's, it's a, it's a standardized warm up. Um, I have a standardized warm up that, uh, usually starts from the ground up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it gets more complex and more complex and more complex. And then with most of my programs, there's, there's a little part after the warm up that is still kind of like a warm up. Cameron, have you noticed that within the programs? Yeah. It's, like the first yeah. couple exercises. Yep. It's still, it, all that is, is really an extension of the warm up. So whenever we warm up, we follow a, or I follow a, 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 a warm up protocol and the acronym is called RAMP. R-A-M-P, RAMP protocol. So it, it's an acronym and it stands for R, which is rise, A, activate, M, mobilize, and then P is potentiate. Okay, so it, P is potentiate again. So whenever whenever we're building this warm-up, we you've got to follow this particular formula, right? rise we have to start by raising our core temperature we've got to increase blood flow we've got to increase our our um, cardiovascular rate right we've got to heat those muscles up raise the temperature our internal temperature you guys have heard it a thousand times don't stretch a cold muscle that's not it's not false that's that's true you're, you're not going to get much range of motion out of a muscle that hasn't been warmed up so raising all of those those different aspects of, of what's going on internally is the first thing that we do. So um, a lot of the times I'll tell people go and jog a little bit, do a couple of jumping jacks, 50 jumping jacks before you get into the warm up, right? So something that that just gets your heart rate pumping. The next one is activation. So we activate the muscles that we're going to be using. So this is, um, for example, let's see here, we do some, we, we may get some bands and we may put some bands around your knees and we may do some monster walks. We put the bands around your knees and we make our knees go in and out. Right. And then we just make one go in and out. The other knee goes in and out. And then we walk with that tension in the band forwards, backwards, sideways, back the other direction, right. With a staggered stance, we inch and then we go backwards. Cameron's done these before. And she's like, yeah, it burns like, like nobody's business the first time you do it. Right. And, um, so we're starting to, to activate the musculature that we're going to be using in our, in our activity, whether that be uh, exercise or whether that be a rodeo event, something along those lines. So there's your activate, which is your A. Mobilize is whenever we start doing our dynamic stretching, right? So we're going to do stuff like, you know, that, that's kind of a complicated movement that has, that has a lot of bang for your buck. So instead of just doing a standing quad stretch, I, I have people do a standing quad stretch and then they hinge at the hips and reach out in front of them and they get a hamstring stretch at the same time. So quad stretch with a reach out then you switch legs, quad stretch, reach out. You may do stuff like there's an exercise called the world's greatest stretch. You guys can Google it. I don't have it in the warm up because it's so long and complicated. Um, 
but it's a great warm-up exercise that that will act it will uh mobilize your hip flexor it'll mobilize your glutes it'll mobilize your adductors right it'll mobilize your thoracic spine right which is your mid spine it'll, it'll make it to where you can rotate really well it'll active or excuse me it'll mobilize your hamstring so you can get all that from one particular stretch so that's the the mobility work that we put into our warm-up is is stretching those muscles to an end range of motion then getting out stretch and then get out okay um and then the last one is potentiate so potentiation oh my gosh what is that okay it, it's, it's a big word that simply means um, we're going to start mimicking the movement that's going to be occurring, okay? So, Cameron, you've noticed within the programs, we have this warm-up, and then we kind of had this extension of the warm-up, right? And, and what we may have in that extension is we may have some balance exercises. We may have some, like, some core activation exercises, and then we may have some, some plyometric exercises, to where we're starting to get closer and closer and closer to the intensity of the exercise routine that we're about to perform or of the uh, closer and closer and closer to this sport that we're about to perform. So I'm a baseball guy. We're never going to go and throw a baseball. We're never going to go warm up to warm up, right? We need to go through a thorough warm up and then start slowly throwing, right? And working, working the distance back and working the distance back, working the distance back, working the distance back. And then once we've worked a long ways back, then we can start coming in and then we increase the intensity to where we're performing at the speed and the intensity that the event uh, that that the event that we're getting ready to do is, is I guess, prescribed at. Right. Um, same with like sprinting. Right. If we're going to go out and sprint, you're never going to go out and just go sprint. You're going to do a warm up. You're going to run at 50 percent. 60%, 70, 80, 90, and then you're finally going to hit that sprinting speed. So that's how, that's how we prescribe the, uh, the warm-up. All of that formula. Yeah, it works. It's, it's long, it's long, but it's, I mean, it's thorough and you get a lot of, um, you get a lot of, uh, what's called neuromuscular activation out of it. And mm -hmm. you start to learn how to control your body through it. Yeah. And if you can, you know, he's got it set up that you can do all of this stuff on the road too, which then allows you to be ready. Like when you get into the arena, like what I love about all of this stuff is, and we talked about this on the podcast some, and um, a lot of you guys have heard me talk about this before through different podcasts and videos that this is the kind of stuff that not everybody is doing. This is the kind of stuff that is going to set you apart that when you get into that arena, when you swing your leg over that horse, or when you start roping the bale or whatever it is, you're going to be warmed up and your body's going to be at a different level than the person who doesn't do this, which is going to give you a competitive advantage, not only physically, but when you've done this kind of stuff, you know that you've done what it takes to prepare to win. And so your mental side of it is already kicking in just because you're physically taking care of yourself. 100%. So we, we did um, some pre and post testing with our rodeo group at Tarleton. And we collected some data on, you know, their weight, so their back squat maxes, how much they can bench press, how much they can deadlift, pick, pick a weight off the floor, right? We looked at their body composition, both their BMI and their fat percentage. And what we see here, this is one of the big ones that, that a lot of um, rodeo athletes were quite scared of, especially barrel racers, okay, in particular. 
every single one of their performance variables went up. The squat went up, the bench press went up, trap bar went up. They got stronger, right? But look at body, look at body composition. It's it's the same across the board, right? So these programs aren't meant to just stack weight on top of you, right? You're not gonna do that in doing these programs unless you get with me and you're like, okay, I want to put some weight on, and then I'll say, all right jump into some nutrition training with me and, and we'll work on whatever it is your goal to where we're starting to eat like pigs. And then we can put some weight on. But if you look at it, nobody's body composition changed, but everybody got stronger. And that's really, really important. Uh, this is again, um, agility tests on the left there that uh, pre and then post agility times got faster. Same with that 30 yard sprint, right? Which is very applicable to your goat tires, very applicable to your, your calf ropers. So we look at the different splits. So we looked at 10 yards to split one, 20 yards to split two, 30 yards would be split three. Each one of those splits got faster. All right, Peyton's got a question really quick. It says, what are the hardest and the easiest workouts or what might they be? What's the hardest and the easiest workouts? Well, if you like, if you don't like leg workouts, leg workouts are the worst. <laughs> if you don't like upper body workouts, upper body workouts are the worst there. I mean, it really depends on the individual. Um, it really does. It, it, it depends on where your weak spots are. Uh, if, if you're extremely strong in the lower half, lower body days, you know, there'll be a breeze. If you're kind of weak in the upper, uh, upper, upper body might be difficult. So it, for it, me, it's been upper body like that's something yep. that I haven't, you know, besides throwing hay bales around and stuff like that. Um, I haven't done a lot of that in the past versus I do a lot of squats. I do a lot of running. I do a lot of writing. So that was, that's definitely been something that I have got to work on. Yeah. Yeah. And I do want to let you guys know too. Um, if you listen to the podcast, you know this, but he's got it set up to where you can do this stuff even without weights. Like you don't have to have a gym. You don't have to have like a bunch of fancy equipment. You just have to have the bands and a solid bar that you can lift up on and it won't bend. So you can do this stuff on the road, in the trailer, on the fairgrounds. I am hoping that we can get him to do a video, like actually at a fairgrounds, utilizing some of these things, like the bleachers oh, yeah. and your trailer and how to set it up in your trailer if it's raining or something like that. Um, just the different things, but it doesn't have to take up a lot of space. And yes, it takes some time, but it doesn't have to take a lot of time. You know, like it, you can get through them. Um, I'm right. I'm right. Now. I've got to put a, make a video at the fairgrounds. Yes. Okay. What you got? We have a, we ordered a ladder a couple days ago. An agility ladder. Uh, yeah. She, is that something that's a good, go ahead and ask it. Sport or for, something to do for a workout. Absolutely. So I like to use agility ladders, especially with youth athletes. Okay because it helps, it helps you connect your brain to your feet, right? Your feet are a long way away from your head, right? And the, the better we can get at being coordinated, right? At, at coordinating where our feet are supposed to go within those little, uh, little rungs on that ladder, the more athletic we become. So coordination equals athleticism, right? And the more athletic we are, the better we become in our sport. So yes, absolutely. Those are great and I use them quite frequently. Yeah. Yep. Especially with like goat tying and stuff too. I would think like the fast feet and um, being oh. able to 
be agile. Yes. Mm -hmm. So this is the cool one. This is, this is what I thought was really neat the other day. So I ran some numbers on the people that participated in the program and those that didn't participate in the program with us. Okay. So in purple, you'll see those are the people that worked out with us consistently throughout the spring semester in the gray are the people that didn't look at the differences here. Steer wrestling, the average, the average time for those that didn't work out with us was an 8.5. That's, that's their steer wrestling time. The ones that did a four, nine, that's incredibly fast. Their catch percentage was up 20%, 83% of the time they're catching that steer versus 66% of the time they're not catching it if they're not working out. And so if this trend goes on as we progress through others, Saddle Bronc was the same way. Average score was higher per ride and we rode 10%. We, we rode the, 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 uh, the horse 10% more times, which is absolutely incredible. Um, same with breakaway. Um, the, the times in breakaway were significantly lower, right? We see there, we've got like a, what is that? A 5.46 compared to a 5.9, right? doesn't look like a lot, but we all know in breakaway roping, every 10th of a second matters, right? So if you go to the next slide, it's the same thing with a couple other events here. Goat tying, there you go, and barrel racing. There you go, barrel racers. There's some love for you. Okay. We're waiting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Actually, I work with a ton of barrel racers at Tarleton. I don't know why I didn't put anything in here. I'm so sorry. Um, but hey, there's goat tying, and that one's really, really big. Um, goat tying is a very athletic, athletic event. You got to be able to ride. You got to be able to jump off. You got to be able to to flip and tie in a really quick time, right? You, that that's the big difference, right? 9.18 to 8.89. Those are averages of the people that participated in the program and then people that didn't. And, and there's your barrel racing, right? It doesn't, it doesn't look like a lot, right? 18.45 versus 18.51. But again, you guys know this just as well as I do. Every 10th of a second counts, right? So, and some of that stuff with barrel racing is is based off of horsepower right you would think you would think the majority of that is based off of horsepower but this statistic alone shows you that you know it doesn't matter what horsepower you've got if you're working out you can utilize that horse in a better way to get you faster times because you can control your body better and and i like i said i've never been on the back of a horse running around barrels at 30 miles an hour but I do understand that every little movement you make, that horse feels. And if you got a bunch of big movements going on, that horse doesn't like it much. I do understand that aspect of it. So the, the more rigid you can be within that saddle, the faster your times get. So um, those, those are, I don't know if there's another slide after that, Cameron. I think it jumps back into the mimic the movement. But those were, um, yeah, we're back to mimic the movement. But that was really one of the big ones that I wanted to look at today and show you guys is the impact that physical fitness has on your performance in the sport. It's just, it was astonishing whenever I wrote these, whenever I ran these numbers the other day um, and I showed my, my coach at Tarleton, his jaw dropped, which he, he, he's already bought into the program, but it was really interesting to see how working out influences your performance. And that's, that's, a, that's a 
it, it's it's pretty pretty novel in this sport. So, um, yeah. So clearly, like you know, the college girls and stuff, they're they're at a point where working out is definitely going to help them improve. At what age do you start incorporating these kinds of exercises and um, this kind of stuff? So you can, it, it depends, right? It, it really does depend. It, you can start working out at age three. Okay. You can start working out at age two, right? Really, as soon as you start walking and squatting, you're working out. Um, it's, it's a matter of if, if you're working out with somebody that, that, that is that young, it's about making sure that you've got eyes on that individual that they're moving correctly. Okay. There's, there's a lot of people out there that say, Hey, we need to be able to squat like kids. That's not hundred percent true. Okay. Whenever, whenever kids squat, you guys can pull up a picture of it. Their, their, uh, their butt tends to, to kind of sink underneath their body. Right. Which isn't great. If we have a bunch of load on their back, we want our spine to be very rigid, right? Kids actually don't move as well as we think they do. So you can start really young. Um, and, and you can start by just making sure that we're, we're going through movements correctly. And then as we start moving through those movements correctly, then we can start to add a little bit of external load, right? Which is your bands, which, it, you know, that's something really simple. Bands don't have a whole lot of tension on them. If you get smaller bands, you can start with, with small weights. Believe it or not, my boys are my, one of my three-year-olds, he picks up a 15 pound, 15 pound dumbbell and he does goblet squats sometimes. Right. So, I mean, it, you can do it. It's just, you have to make sure that you're doing it correctly. Um, but for my program, what a lot of times what I'll say is if, if you're a mature, if you're a mature, mature 12 year old, I, I, I'll take you. Right. But we're going to have a conversation before you get going. Um, but usually around age 14, most, most kids are, are developing to a point where they can handle the load. They understand their bodies a little bit better. Their, their maturity levels higher. They, they understand these concepts a little bit better. Um, but I will say the whole, the whole idea behind it'll stunt your growth. It'll mess up your growth plates. is not true. Um, weight bearing is weight bearing. Isn't going to stunt your growth plates. It's not going to mess up your, your growth plates at all. Um, it will not do that. It, what will do that is improper form. So, and that will do that at any time. Like it'll Absolutely. do that anytime if you don't have proper form. Absolutely. Yep. A hundred percent. We're kind of running towards the end of our time, but like we had talked a little bit about sports psychology. Um, you touch on yeah. that a little bit. What can you share with us on the sports psychology side of things? Okay. So sports psychology is, I, I will say this much about sports psychology. Sports psychology is not a guarantee, right? But it does put you, it does put you in the best place mentally to be successful. Okay. So it's not a guarantee, but it can break you. Right. So if you go into, and, and, and I'll use a simple example, if you go up to a free throw line and you're shooting baskets, right. And you're telling yourself before, before you shoot that basketball, you're looking at the hoop and you're telling yourself, don't miss this shot. Don't miss this shot. Don't miss this shot. What's going to happen? You're going to miss the shot every single time, right? Don't miss this calf. Don't miss this calf. Don't miss this calf. What happens? Don't get bucked off. Don't get bucked off. Don't get bucked off, right? So our mind doesn't process the, the do's and don'ts. 
our mind simply processes the action that we're telling it to do. If we're telling ourselves, don't get bucked off, all our mind is thinking about is getting bucked off, right? If we're telling ourselves, don't miss, don't miss that calf whenever we throw that rope here in a minute, all we're going to do is miss that calf. Okay, so it's while sports psychology isn't a guarantee, it does put you in the best position to be successful. Right. And that's what's really, really important with sports psychology is making sure that whenever you, you jump onto the saddle or you get into the chute or wherever you're at, you have a you have a positive mindset that you're going to be successful. And and you're very assertive with that mindset of I'm, I'm going to be successful whenever I go into this ride. So. I think the biggest thing is in regards to simplicity with sports psychology is every time you get in there, have a, have a, have a positive last conscious thought, tell yourself, I'm going to ride this sucker through nine seconds instead of eight. Right. I'm, I'm going to catch this. I'm going to catch this calf on this, on, on, uh, on swing number three. Right. That, and that may be quick for some people, right. Two swings and it's out. Okay. So, and, and I'm going to catch right? I'm going to tie, uh, whatever it may be. I'm going to ride. If you're a barrel racer. Familiar, Sadie and Hadley? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we just yeah. talked about that a lot. And it, and just, you know, and just changing it, it doesn't take a long time to change that mindset. But as soon as you do, you go from setting yourself up to fail to setting yourself up to succeed by simply changing your verbiage. Yeah. And you know, what's cool about that is the better, the more you work at it, the better it works for you. It's just like practice. It's no different. Now there's so many different avenues within sports psychology that are so cool. You can jump into imagery and all kinds of stuff like that. But really this simple one is the more you work at this, the better you get at it. And the more you start to be aware of your thoughts. Okay. And what you're aware of, you guys may have heard this before, what you're aware of, you can control what you're unaware of will control you. You guys ever heard that? Right. If you're unaware that you're putting yourself in these negative thoughts before you go on that run, you're in trouble because you have no idea how to get out of that negative, negative perception of your runs. Right. But now that, that you start to think about and you start to incorporate some sports psychology in and you start to think, okay, I'm going to put myself in a position that's going to be successful. I'm going to tell myself I'm going to run these barrels in 16 seconds flat, right? Or 15 seconds flat. That's my time here. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to skin these barrels, whatever it may be that, that you put in your mind when you're going around these tight turns, right? I don't care what the positive thought is. Just make sure it's positive and make sure that it's, it's success driven. As you do this over and over again, you're going to start to recognize when you're not there. Okay. And that's the important part. It's recognizing whenever you're out of the positive mindset and finding a mechanism to put yourself back in it. Okay? I've never heard of it explained that way, but that is like the, the unaware part, like clearly the being aware. But now that you say that, I think about like my performance. And as we talked about in the podcast, how like I, I knew that something was wrong and I was able to shift it like that because I had identified it because it, I practiced. I mean, it took me months and months and months of this leadership class that I was in to, to train myself to really think 
through those things. But once I did, then you get to shift. But if you're unaware of it and you're out of control of your mind, then your subconscious kicks in. Yeah. And you, you, you can't change anything. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's one of the biggest things that, that sports psychology does for you is it simply makes you aware of your thoughts and it, it, and it enables you to control your thoughts, right? Essentially, if you really want to think about it, your mind is what controls your entire body, right? Your heart doesn't pump without your mind, right? That's that your mind is what controls it. So if you're in a good positive mindset, your mind is going to control your muscles to do what they're supposed to do, right? If you've got a hitch in your get up, right? Which is that, that blocker of, I'm not going to be successful. Your muscles are not going to perform in the same way that they're, they, they can, if you're thinking positively and things start to become automatic, right? And that's, that's essentially the goal is, is think positively and, and let your muscles work the way they're supposed to and let your mind work the way it's supposed to. That's what you, that's ultimate goal. And that even goes into like getting over like, okay, a horse tripped at some point or a horse did this, or I got bucked off at this point, like being able to work through those things that hold us back, um, is mm-hmm. another part of it just based on past experiences. Yep. I love riding horses because I got bucked up as a kid. Yep. <laughs> yeah. just, I mean, every time I get on a horse now, it's like, God, don't buck me off. Well, what, what, what the heck is the horse feeling now? Right. I need to, I need to take a sip of my own medicine, but you know, you get onto it with this nervous, you know, idea of what's going to happen instead of the idea of I'm going to ride this horse. And it's going to be just fine. And things change. Right. Right. So. Yep. Awesome. Okay. Does anybody have any other questions? All right. You did a good job. You answered all the questions. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> well, just, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on. And if, if anybody needs, uh, wants to talk more about any of this stuff, whether it be sports psychology, um, exercise for rodeo nutrition, feel free to, uh, to reach out to me. You can reach out to me via Instagram. You can reach out to me via email. Um, I'm sure that Cameron can, can send you that email pretty quickly. Um, or, or she may offer up my cell phone. I don't know. Um, That's up to you. I can, (laughs) Make that public knowledge if you want to. <laughs> those, those individuals that are on today, they can have it. So they 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 uh, they're bared they they bared with my uh, my nerdiness with my data. So they're they're golden. They can have it. Um, yeah, feel free to reach out to me at any time. Check out our programs. Check out check out what we're doing. And and really, ultimately, my goal is to see this spread across rodeo to where this becomes the norm. Um, and uh, I think it's individuals like you guys that are on here, rodeokids.com. Um, that are on here today and, and that are buying into this stuff. And, and I hope it spreads and, and I hope that I can help you guys out in, in, in making your performance better. So again, thank you guys for having me on. Yeah. And I definitely um, would like to recommend that you guys follow him on Instagram and Facebook because he posts different little tidbits of things there that are going to help you too. Yeah. Good stuff. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Yep. See thank you. See y'all. We 
can't thank you enough for tuning in to the RodeoKids.com weekly podcast. All we ask in return is that you share it with your family and friends verbally and also on your social media accounts. You can tag at RodeoKids.com on Facebook and Instagram. Also, just send them an email or send somebody a private message if there's something that really stands out that you think could help somebody else because at RodeoKids.com, that is our goal is to provide information and content that we can share with each other throughout the industry to help everyone learn and grow and thrive. So please share away. That's what we're here for. And please also let us know if we can help you in any way, shape, or form. We are here to support you. We wish you the safest of travels, good luck, and God bless.